Welcome to Volunteer Plain Talk Podcast, the podcast for today's leaders of volunteers. Your host is me, Meridian Swift. Welcome back. In this episode, I had the privilege of sitting down with Elizabeth Robinson, who took her volunteering to the next level and opened her own nonprofit organization called Community Cats of Palm Coast. There are so many things I took away from this conversation with Elizabeth. One of the things that I took away, and these are this is something that I've been talking about for a while, and, and I believe deeply that the future of volunteering can possibly lie with citizen helpers. Meaning when you think about things like disaster response and you see people who show up with their boats or their trucks when there's a natural disaster unfolding, they don't necessarily contact an organization and fill out an application and go through training. They just go and they get immediate results. And this, I think, is going to be something that we have to be looking for in the future. And what I took away from Elizabeth and her experience as being a volunteer and then morphing outside of her organization that she volunteered for and becoming an advocate was that we don't have to exist in silos. We can certainly mentor volunteers and watch them bloom and grow and then partner with them to further our missions and our work. And I also took away that volunteers are really looking for solutions. Now with Elizabeth, she taught me that Volunteers understand that we operate in bureaucracies, and they don't necessarily blame us for that, but they may want to work outside of bureaucracies, and we should encourage them. And by solutions, I mean volunteers are looking to see what is it that we are accomplishing. So we need to constantly keep them informed of our progress. And the other thing that I learned is that volunteers are looking for interaction. And as you'll see in the interview, Elizabeth has created something that is interactive and really engages anyone in the community to work with her organization. I'm talking with Elizabeth of Community Cats of Palm Coast. Hello. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being interviewed and talking with me today. What made you start Community Cats of Palm Coast? Well, I moved to Palm Coast. Uh, My husband took early retirement, and uh, this was our beach house. Uh, So we moved here full-time, and I like to volunteer, so I started to volunteer for the Flapper Humane Society. And uh, I ended up on their board, and that was not a good time at the shelter. Uh, The director had been fired prior to my coming on, so the board members were spending a lot more time in the building and more actively involved in running the shelter than normally a board member would be. So 
as a result, I was in the building a lot and I was watching what was going on and I was watching particularly what was playing out with the cats. And I'm a real animal lover. And I had noticed when we moved to Palm Coast and just generally in Flagler County, as it is in all of Northern Florida, that there are just cats everywhere. Mm-hmm. There are stray cats. You go to the supermarket, there's cats behind the dumpster. You, you live in a neighborhood. There are cats that are you know running around and people are feeding them, but no one seems to own them. So I was aware that the community had a problem, but being inside the shelter gave me a view that I normally would not have had in that uh, at that time the city was practicing uh, what basically a trap-and-kill type of approach to uh, overpopulation of cats. So they would, the animal control trucks would pull up with cats and traps. They would go into the intake room for a quick evaluation. They would go to the back room. They would be stuck with a needle, and they would be disposed of. The next day, new cats would arrive. Mm. And watching this play out was very concerning to me, and I felt that... These, at that time, the community wasn't practicing uh, trap, neuter, and return. There really wasn't much being done to try to get to the causes of this overpopulation. And I felt that from inside an organization that is doing business with the city and the county, it's harder to do real advocacy and create change. It's complicated. So I decided to step away from the shelter, start a private organization of a 501c3 to practice and promote trap, neuter, and return, mm-hmm. both the practice of it and the policies that need to be put into place to make that effective. So that's about seven years ago, that's how I started Community Cats of Palm Coast. So you found that you would probably have more freedom if you started your own organization. Is that correct? In terms of advocacy, uh, and focus that you know there's at the shelter there's all sorts of different fo- things that need to be focused on this was an organization that specifically would focus on promoting track neuter and return plus uh, we could openly advocate for it without stressing or threatening a business relationship that we have mm-hmm. that that you would have as a, uh, if you are an animal shelter and you have uh, contracts with municipalities to be the animal receiving facility or to conduct, conduct animal control, you have a complicated relationship. As an advocacy organization from the outside, you can just push for change without worrying about stressing relationships that are important in other ways. And that's really what we did. We started out, we start to try to educate the public on this issue. We pushed our public officials, both at the city of Palm Coast, Flagler Beach, mm-hmm. uh, also uh, to um, promote and practice trap and support trap, neuter, and return. We had a petition drive with 3,000 signatures that was an earn all the animal-related businesses in our county were supporting. So it was kind of a grassroots effort to get um, better policies in place. Mm-hmm. And there were some meaningful changes. I don't think the work is done. There's some things that need to happen. But um, in the process of doing that, we became a rescue, which wasn't really my intention. But what ends up happening, of course, is when you trap, you get kittens. And when you get kittens, you need foster homes. And when you need foster homes, you need an adoption. You know, <laughs> it's, it, it became kind of a throw me down the stairs, my hat kind of uh, oh. rescue. So we became a foster network. 
for the rehoming of uh, feral cats and kittens, as, yes. as well as a TNR. So you didn't you didn't start out with that in mind. That right. just kind of organically it's a natural, evolved, natural progression of things. Absolutely. When you started, Elizabeth, was it just yourself, or did you have other folks with you? It was mostly me. Had uh, some people that helped with different things. I think that it's been that way pretty much for the seven years. Uh, I had people that fostered and I helped, had people that helped trap and I would have people who would help with a fundraising event. Uh, but in terms of being the overall manager of the effort, that, that stayed with me. And did people reach out to you or did you actually try to recruit people that you knew would be you know, really good advocates for what you were doing? You mean to volunteer? Yeah, yeah, as volunteers. Just kind of naturally evolved. I think that I started at the shelter, so I knew some people in the animal community from there. And then I think social media played a very important part. Uh, We started a Facebook page, and uh, that had a lot of... uh, became sort of a... um, a go-to place for the cat community here. We also started an advocacy page, something called Vote TNR, which was specifically separate from Community Cats, which say, I shouldn't say we started, I should say I started it as an individual, yeah. as a separate effort to try to get more um, pro-animal uh, candidates for, for elected office that would come in with a more elevated uh, or more interested uh, view of animal issues. Uh, um, I also do, right now, I do something on Facebook uh, called the Animal Advocates of Flagler County, which is sort of a continuation of that effort. But those things are all separate from Community Cat. Uh, we function largely as um, a Facebook page, a foster network. We have ongoing relationships with local vets that give us discounted vet services, and then we adopt out our cats, mostly through Facebook. We will post them, people will respond, we'll interview them, we'll do a meet and greet, Mm -hmm. Uh, we'll do that. But we're also Petco and Pet Smart Partners, so we can set up at a pet store on a Saturday, you know, when we have a lot of kittens to view, and we do do that. That's an amazing amount of work for one person. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm just... I'm just blown away by the amount of advocacy and the reach that you have. Uh, do you know offhand how many people are viewing or like your Facebook page? I think it's. I think at this point it's almost ten thousand. Okay, that that's just absolutely amazing. Thank you. What? You know, it's hard to pin down, but. And this is probably going to be just a really dumb question, but what do you attribute that kind of outreach to? Do you have any formula or thought? This was the the impetus or the point at which, wow, it just really took off. You mean the Facebook page in particular? Just the amount of people that you're reaching, which is a tremendous amount. I think it's been a combination of things. I think uh, we have put a lot of focus on the Facebook page. Um, 
it's become very um, interactive. You know, people weigh in mm-hmm. and they post things, and we uh, we do a lot of courtesy posting of. Uh, cats and kittens in the community that need a home to try to keep them out of having to go to the shelter or mm-hmm. we get a lot of calls where people are like my neighbor moved away leaving her two cats behind mm-hmm. you know i'm feeding them on her porch i can't take them in don't want to take them to the shelter we we work with uh with um, caretakers of community cats mm-hmm. all over you know flagler county so i think that that so we're doing more than just posting our own cats. It's a relatively small number because we're, we're limited. At this point, we don't have the facility, so limited by the number of foster home placements we have. So usually we would have anywhere between 7 and 18 foster homes going at once. What I'm struck by is that a lot of times established organizations will get a, a bad name or people don't necessarily trust them. It sounds like you have established your organization as, like you said, grassroots and one that people can trust. So they're turning to you. They're looking at your pages. They're seeing the work you do, and that makes them comfortable with approaching you is what I'm thinking. Do you find Mm -hmm. that that might be the case? I think so. I think we try to... We try to... uh, for example, to follow through on stories, which I think people mm-hmm. people get invested, like they'll we'll post a cat for adoption. People really want to know what mm-hmm. happened to that cat. Uh, so I think it's somewhat, we, we make a special effort to get back to people and repost updates and people it, and post a follow-up photograph that shows the cat in the person's home. And so people feel like when they share, it's, they're not just clicking a button, they're helping to make something important happen. And there's a lot, that's, you were asking about how you grow a Facebook page. One of the ways is people organically sharing. And if you're doing a lot of rehoming and a lot of trying to help animals, people want to share those kinds of posts. And especially if you can show the results. Right. Yeah, once it you helps. show the results, uh-huh, people take you seriously. Right, and they understand that what you're doing, uh, you know, you're following through, and I think that that's something that we can all learn from is the follow through. Yeah, no, I think that's very important. I also think that we our reputation started early as um, being very engaged in seeking solutions. You know, in rescue, you can you can be run, you're like running on a treadmill and it's always very easy to make it always about this cat or this dog on this day because everything feels urgent so to try to keep a eye on policy and get people to attend meetings and to get engaged in the in solving the overall problem that we have in the community. To understand why there are cats everywhere and what we can do about it. Uh, you know, we're not a, we're not a advocacy or a policy organization. We are a 501c3 and we're a rescue, but advocacy and education and outreach can be part of that mission. And, you know, we are permitted to do that. And we, I think we started early, uh, like that uh, petition drive was... Um, something that put the issue of people are eager in this community to have a solution to what they see every day because yeah. it makes you feel very sad 
you know, you go, you go pick up your clothes at the dry cleaner and you see a bunch of kittens, eat, you know, scrawny looking kittens eating out of a dumpster. And everybody says to themselves, well, why doesn't somebody do something about that? Well, we are someone, <laughs> not just us, but each one of us, right. you know, and we try to give people that message that right. we all have to be engaged in solving the problem. I think one thing about uh, volunteer management that you uh, were asking about how you uh, build um, a strong volunteer core, and I think one of the things is uh, making, trying to meet different volunteers where their comfort zone is. Mm -hmm. Not trying to make people do things they don't want to do, that maybe you can get them to do, but they really don't enjoy it. And it's, you know, so I think having that approach to volunteers of not, you know, well, hi, nice to meet you. This is what I need you to do. But trying to feel where can this person fit in mm -hmm. and have a satisfying experience that will make her want to continue to participate. Uh, so we have volunteers that do different things. And if somebody is great at fostering feral kittens in their home, but doesn't really enjoy helping in adoption events, I'm not going to push her to do that. If somebody is comfortable with two very young, friendly kittens, but is scared of kittens that are hissing and spitting, I'm not going to put them with her. So I try to uh, find out what people's strengths are and comfort zone is and, you know, fit them that way. Have you, which makes me think, have you ever created a position because a volunteer came along and they didn't quite fit into what you had, but you saw such potential in them that you said, oh, okay, can you tell yeah. me about that? Yeah, um, I, uh, I have... Somebody who came into the organization, and uh, uh, she she didn't really want to foster, and she there are things I, I don't think that were really a good fit, but she loves um, outreach, so she is like a little outreach unit with four community cats. If we until we get a church that asks us, can we come and do a blessing of the animals, or there's a community adoption. Uh, she will, with her grandchildren, they're kind of like a one-family uh, unit. Uh, so rather than trying to push her to do things that she doesn't like, I found something. She likes to spend time with her family. She likes that experience. Yeah. Uh, this is something they do together. So I look for things like that. I mean, that's an amazing intuitive strength on your part that you would recognize, well, you know what? She likes to do things with her family. What could we possibly do, do yeah. to marry these two things or merge these mm -hmm. two things together so she has a great experience? And I'll bet she's a wonderful volunteer. Yeah, she is. Yeah. She is. They do great work. Have you ever, and, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want, um, have you ever had to turn a volunteer away? I've had a couple of failed foster experiences, for okay. sure. Uh -huh. um, we've had, um, the vast majority of our fosters are wonderful, but it can get very complicated when you put animals in people's homes. We have a set of foster guidelines, and we can go over them with them, mm -hmm. but doesn't 
always work out 100%. So we've had a couple of times where we've had to take the animals back that we just didn't think it was a good fit. Mm-hmm. We didn't like what was going on mm-hmm. and the guidelines weren't being followed. It sounds like you um, not have made peace, but, but you're okay with that because you, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you value the work so much that you're willing to say, no, you're not a good fit because the cats come first. Okay. I'm always willing to have an uncomfortable conversation or interaction. Yeah. Um, I personally hate confrontation and I hate anything that's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. much like most people are. But um, I'll give you an example. We might be doing a um, adoption event at... Uh, at PetSmart and somebody comes in and wants to adopt a kitten and I look at them and I think they're probably in their 80s. That's a very uncomfortable conversation, but yeah. I'm not adopting out a kitten to somebody in their 80s unless there's a second younger family member who's on the application and personally talks to me and assures me that they are going to take the animal should that be necessary. That's a example of you know, having to, uh, I've had a couple times when I've done a um, adoption and arrived and seen that the situation was not what I thought it was. And I've had to hightail it out there with the cat and the carrier, move doing my, you know, middle-aged woman in a hurry run to the car. the heavy Drive. cat carrier to get away quickly while they're yelling at me from the door because they're upset and disappointed, you know, and that you're rejecting, you're judging and rejecting them, and you have to be... The easier thing would be to leave the cat, but I'm not going to do that. So, but, you know, it's you have to be willing sometimes to, you know, to put the... You always have to put the animals first. And and you're, you're so right. Most of us are just so abhorrent of having a, a difficult conversation. We don't... Especially people who want to help. We don't want to say, oh, no, you know, we don't want your help. So that becomes a, a real issue. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that. It's, it's, it's one thing that most volunteer managers really struggle with, is yeah. turning people away or saying that was inappropriate or you can't do that. Right. You know, because we we have to look out for those we're serving. And, right. You know, the animals right. that you're, you're caring for. So with all that's going on, this makes me wonder what what is your ideal, if you have one, what is your ideal size for your organization? Do you see it growing big, staying the way it is? Do you feel comfortable with where you're at? I think it really is dictated by the needs in the community. Um, Flagler County is pretty underserved in terms of the number of, of animal rescues and it has a very serious cat problem. Uh, so... I would like to see it be bigger because I think it needs to be bigger. I think the shelter gets very um, overrun. They're trying. Um, but what I think, I think, you know, we've reached the, the point where we need to have the next phase, which is usually to have an earned income project like a thrift store, which funds a, uh, 
a directorship or a staff, a manager's salary, uh, and uh, or at least one person's salary, and then hopefully a facility that serves as to house some animals and to uh, to being able to display them in like an adoption mm, center mm-hmm. where you have some cages. Uh, that's really the the next step that I think all rescues. We're we're right at that place, and we're actually in the process of it. Wonderful. Looking to open a, a thrift store. Oh, that's which great. Which fund the staff position, not for myself, but for somebody yeah, else. Yeah. That can um, run the thrift store and also uh, help run the organization. Yeah. I used to run a thrift store. Oh, did and, you? Yeah, I did. It was um, some of the most challenging, but also some of the most enjoyable, meaningful you know, years of my life. And what struck me was the amount of outreach a thrift store has because you have people coming in just to look for bargains and they end up getting information on your organization and becoming advocates for the organization so it's a great outreach so um yeah i'd like to come back and uh you know visit your thrift store when it's open and that that would be great yeah so you have a good working relationship with the Humane Society then. It's not like you, I mean, some volunteers, obviously not you, some volunteers will get mad at the organization they're working for. You guys aren't moving fast enough. You're not going in the direction I think you should go. So therefore, I'm taking all my friends and we're leaving. You have a good re- working relationship with the Humane Society and with you. Yeah. Do you feel that that's the way to go? Is not yes. to burn bridges? I I'm a yes. I think it's a shame in the animal community when people are not working cooperatively to toward the same goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we we all need to. The ants need to move the rubber tree plant. <laughs> we yeah. all need to push together. I think in in our county shelter, uh, they really are trying, and they're doing a lot of things right. Nothing is perfect. Uh, what's coming at them is pretty intense and problematic. I don't think they have as much municipal support as they should, but I do think that they're trying. And I think a sh- a shelter should be sort of the the home, the foundation of a rescue community, and. Everybody should be connected to the shelter. They should give support to local rescues, mm-hmm. and the rescues should support the shelter in an ideal situation. That's really a, a progressive way of looking at it, which is not being in silos everywhere, but right. working right. together for the community. I think that's a big issue with the animal community, and I think it, it partially comes from the passion that people have they feel so strongly about their way of doing things and what's right and what's not. And there are a lot of different views, a lot, and a lot of different ways to do rescue. Um, And uh, so it's very easy if it's not your way to say it's the wrong way, but everybody's trying to do good. We're just have different ideas and different focuses. What, what message do you have for all of us out there? Because we care about our communities, and so we care about the missions that are not really the ones we're working for, as well as our own. Well, one first one that comes to mind, which is pretty obvious, is get your cats and dogs spayed and neutered. 
no excuses, no, I'm just going to let them have one litter, no, I can find a home for the puppies. Remember that your animals, it's not just about your animals, it's about the big picture. And we all have responsibility not to create one more animal to be here because we have a massive, you know, euthanasia problem. So uh, that would be the first thing. And as an extension of that, if you have friends and relatives and neighbors who are not getting or not getting their animals fixed and letting them out, try to push them. Try to have the uncomfortable conversation. (laughs) Provide them with the information they may not know. Offer, say, hey, you can get it done over there at Flagler Cats for $50. And if you have to go to work that day, I'll pick your cat up. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like step up and in with not just being a Budinsky, but also Mm -hmm. offering some concrete help. Particularly a lot of times young people, I think just somebody that's they just really haven't maybe thought it out and understand how quickly animals get pregnant. Uh, so I think that's another thing that, you know, that we can all do. And then the last thing that I think we all are um, have an obligation is to hold our elected officials accountable. If we don't like what's going on with animals in our community or anything else in our community, the homeless, whatever, whatever the other issues are, make ourselves known and participate. Great advice. Do you want to tell people where they can get in touch with you or donate? Wanted to well, do if it. anybody, you know, is local and mm-hmm. they, you know, want um, help or even if they want information, if they're elsewhere, we often get contacted by people who are in other faraway places where they're not even as far, they're, they're Flagler County 10 years ago and they want to get a grassroots effort started. So they like to know what we did to try to move the, the needle. So, uh, yeah, no, they're happy to get, I'm happy for them. To, I admin the Facebook page myself. So, uh, me and one other person, so they can always reach out that way okay. or the website. And they would find you Facebook at Community Cats of Palm Coast. Right. Correct? Right. Okay. Um, anything else, Elizabeth? You know, not that I can think of. I'm just figuring it out as I've, you know, gone along. Gone along. Well, you have done just an amazing job. I am just so incredibly impressed with all that you've accomplished. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's citizens like you that really, truly are going to change the world. The people that you enlist, we can call them volunteers, but you enlist as people to help what you're doing are just really making all the difference. The uh, management of the community cat population. Mm -hmm. There are a lot Mm -hmm. of different approaches Mm -hmm. and uh, the way that national organizations that advise municipalities are suggesting it be handled is evolving. Uh, From, but they, the programs that, um, Concerned Citizens for Animal Welfare put in place were of a particular type that municipalities would be more receptive to, uh, a little bit more municipal friendly, and um, it was, I'm sure, they felt necessary at the time since they really were pioneers. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was nada, and uh, they they fought the good fight, and they made a lot of change in a number of, you know, communities south of uh, Flagler County. So. Wonderful. Yeah. So we can truly learn from one another. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Why reinvent the wheel if the wheel has right. actually been started? And, right. You know, just continue it on, which right. is what you're doing. They, they really have uh, accomplished a lot, you know, because they, they introduced uh, the concept to be, you know, I'm sure they were looking at a wall and O, which is what we were looking at here. And um, so we didn't do exactly what they did. We, we followed kind of a little bit of a different format, but I don't know that had they not, they kind of started, they, they picked up on the national trend. This is going on all over the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, they broached it here. So that was very brave, and yeah. I'm sure it took a lot of persistence. So yeah. they would be good people to talk to. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Well, you're you're pretty brave too <laughs> in, in what you've done, and and very inspiring. So thank you so much for oh, welcome. for talking with us. Truly appreciate it. And when that thrift shop is up, I am coming up to see. It. Oh, good. <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> thank you. The one we're looking at right now is in the Island Walk Shopping Center. A huge thank you to Elizabeth for being with us today. I know I learned a lot from her. So please go to their Facebook page. It's Community Cats of Palm Coast and give them a like. And while you're there, check out their social media posts and how they're engaging the community around them to support their mission. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the Volunteer Plane Talk podcast big thank you to Alternate Timelines for the use of their music. For more volunteer management talk, or if you just want to reach out to me, please visit my website, volunteerplanetalk.com, or you can catch me at Meridian Swift on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Until next time, this is Meridian Swift. Thank you, and bye-bye.